You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Thank you, thank you. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you here. This is a great place to be. I really do feel like we're in a brand new season. Has anyone else felt that in a positive in a positive way? Let me see. Well, catch it. It's contagious. So, um, well, after my sabbatical and um, then after sneaking off to Montana for a week, I think some people are wondering if you would ever see me again. <laughs> I think you're stuck with me for long, a little bit longer, but... Um, Actually, I had a phone call this week from someone who saw that uh, Andy, Christopher, and I were all speaking this morning, and uh, they'd seen that on uh, QCC's Instagram. How many of you see the QCC Instagram? Yeah, good. Christopher does a lot of that, so he's to be commended. But um, uh, they were wondering if I was going to announce my retirement this morning, and... uh, I could understand that, but no, I'm not retiring this morning. I am, however, <laughs> my wife's happy. She doesn't know what to do with me anyway, but uh, no, I am, however, happy to announce that we are promoting Andy Squires from worship pastor to associate pastor, and I think that's, uh, that's a good thing. I'll continue to be the senior pastor and oversee the church, continue doing some preaching. And um, there are other things I want to do, but Andy is going to begin to carry more of the pastoral responsibility. And uh, I don't think people have understood how, uh, how much trouble I've had physically. So I want to explain a little bit of this so you'd, you'd have an, an idea. But this year, I and Donna hit two major milestones. The first one was I became 70 years old. And the second one is that Donna and I celebrated our 45th wedding anniversary. Yeah. And um, we did it in Big Sky, Montana. Uh, actually, it was... Uh, Last week with our entire family, we were there to celebrate um, our daughter Katie's wedding that actually occurred last year. But how many of you know, it's pretty tough for everybody to get out to Montana this time last year. I'm not sure why, what that was all about, but I refuse to mention it. How many of you are uh, ready just to never mention unprecedented blah, blah, blah? I don't even like the commercials that try to encourage me about what's, you know, just shut up. Let me see the football game. Anyway, I couldn't have even made that trip to Montana if I was not able to get a direct flight and first-class seats. I turned in all my air miles for my preaching and traveling and used wheelchairs in the airports to get back and forth because of the trouble I've had in my back. Most of you probably that have been coming know that I've had some back issues and Really, it's restricted my ability to even stand while I speak. Voila, here I sit. And my ability to walk any distances. And uh, 
obviously, is dimension, diminished my energy level. And we've needed um, really more energy in the church. And I know that Andy and Amy can help help provide that. So I have an appointment in a couple of weeks with a specialist to to discuss my options. And we were thinking at the same time, if I was going to need surgery, it's going to take time to re- recuperate. And uh, Don and I and our board and our team wanted to be sure the church is covered, no matter how, uh, how that works. So I know both Andy and Amy are well equipped to do that, to do what we're, we're asking them to do. So please be praying for the church, for Andy and Amy, and if need be, my recuperation or miracles are accepted. Wouldn't mind having a miracle. Um, But this has been going on over 20 years. So uh, anyway, your prayers and support are appreciated. And they really are important as we all move forward together. So I did have a verse. Everybody knows I have a verse, right? Yet even in the midst of all these things, Paul wrote. Paul was the most beat up Christian who survived to tell about it of probably anybody we've ever met. I mean, the fact that he was cheerful and hope-filled is an extraordinary testimony to who Jesus is in the strength of the gospel. The Bible, I'm getting to preaching, but the Bible tells us on numerous occasions he was beaten to the point where most men would die, and some believe he did die at least once. I mean, for goodness sake, they lowered him down in a basket over a wall to keep him from getting killed. Think about that nice little trip. But um, Paul would say, yet even in the midst of all these things, we triumph over them all. For God has made us to be more than conquerors. And his demonstrated love is our glorious victory over everything. That's Romans 8. 37, and I have one more here. Um, I think it's such a shame recently people have argued and adopted adversarial positions with each other. And I really do believe it's a trick of the devil, quite frankly. Um. I have several goals in, in, in my life. One of them is to have resentment towards no one. And the other one is to be hopeful no matter what goes on, because I believe we have that opportunity in Christ Jesus. I really do. And so Paul gives one of the keys and this, but it can be difficult to be that way, right? Yeah, it's a challenge. But Paul wrote this. That first portion was in um, Romans 8. The second portion here is in Philippians 4. It says, so keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real, honorable and admirable, beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind. And fashion your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising him always. And so I think those are such powerful words that um, are easy to forget that we should incorporate in our lives. I want to invite Christopher up. 
he has a testimony of something that uh, he would like to tell us about. So let's welcome Christopher McMillan. So here's the deal. I've got a testimony of an ongoing encounter that I've been having with the Lord this week. And I believe that there's an opportunity for all of us to engage with him in a powerful, potentially new way today. Uh, Like my dad said, we just got back from my sister's wedding in Montana late Monday night. It, uh, It was incredible. It was super meaningful. And it was also super hard. We had sick kids the whole time. Um, And sick kids don't like to travel or go to Yellowstone or look at animals or be nice to each other in the back of a car. Um, Anyway, so we got home late Monday night. Um... Everyone went to bed, all the lights were out, and I had this revelation. I'm not tired. So uh, I wanted to spend some time with the Lord, but I didn't want to wake up my wife. So instead of reading my Bible or doing that, I just began to pray internally. Uh, As I started praying, I started telling the Lord how I wanted to know him better. I started thinking about how Jesus was filled with the Spirit after he was baptized Uh, how the apostles were filled with the Spirit. And I thought about how Jesus spent hours. He was the Son of God. He was God here on earth, and he still spent hours in prayer. He was consistently found away praying. This is God himself. This is Jesus, the Son of God. And he spent time seeking God. He spent time communing with the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just a given. It wasn't just Jesus is over here. He's got all the magic powers. He does all the right stuff. And then we spend the rest of our lives stumbling around, hoping that we haven't made a mess of it all. Uh, So Jesus said he only did what he saw the Father doing and said he only said what he heard the Spirit saying. Um, So I started telling the Lord, I want to know the Lord the way Jesus and the apostles did. I want to know him in a way that will turn my life upside down. Will impact my family. My unsaved relatives will overflow into my kids and will change my neighbors. I want a rooted relationship with the Holy Spirit that has traction in history. I don't want to feel like I'm starting from zero spiritually Every time there's a crisis, I don't want to wait for pain to believe that the Lord is real. I also want to give God the relationship. I'm going to cry through this paragraph, guys. Uh, I'm going to, I want to give God the relationship that he had in mind when he formed me. This room is filled with God's hopes and dreams. You guys are God's hopes and dreams. Nobody is here by accident. In God's chaotic, romantic heart, there were these ideas that were too good to pass up. They were turned into every single one of us. And he couldn't talk himself out of birthing any of us, no matter the pain, no matter what troubles we would both endure and cause him. Knowing the years that we may spend abandoning ourselves from him, And bringing ourselves and him great pain, he still chose every single one of us. So Monday night, laying in bed, I started to pray 
two different types of prayers. One was repentance and one was for help. I prayed for forgiveness for anything that I thought that I thought that could separate us. And I prayed for help to become more sensitive to him and intentional towards him. As I prayed, I felt a heat and a weight on me, which is normally the way I feel the Holy Spirit. I start feeling heavy and hot and I start crying. I also felt him in the room as overwhelmed with gratitude for him. Guys, I wasn't making anything up. All I was doing is saying, God, you know what? Just, just logically, just being completely honest with you, I don't think I've done this the right way. I think I've said a lot of stuff to you, but I don't think I've necessarily meant them. And I, I just want to be intellectually honest with him. Lord, I want, I want you in my life. I want you the right way. I want you your way. So um, as I prayed, I, I, I started being overwhelmed with, with gratitude. Um, and I could feel my thoughts changing to things I weren't thinking about. Um, I was crying. My wife was asleep. She didn't know any of this stuff. Um, but I felt him reorder, reordering my internal priorities. Um, I eventually fell asleep. We had our staff meeting Tuesday. We were talking probably about something un- completely unrelated, and there was a, enough of a pause for me to start talking. I started talking to the guys about wanting to connect with the Lord, wanting the Lord in my life, wanting the Lord to overflow my life into my family, my kids, um, wanting to impact other people, but wanting to know the Holy Spirit. I was trying to be honest with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I don't know that I could identify you other than just a feeling. I don't know that I could tell the difference between my thoughts and your thoughts. Intellectually, I can say, well, the Bible says this because you say this, but you point in the scripture to something completely different than just people living by principle, right? right? right. You know? Like if we're living by, we should live by principle, but that should not be the driving force in our lives, you know? So the next day I'm telling, you know, the staff, which is my, my parents, my wife, Andy and Amy. And, um, I don't know that's making a whole lot of sense. Uh, my heart really goes out to my kids. Uh, my heart really goes out to my unsaved relatives who are just, you know, making the best of their lives, but they're walking around blindly. Um, and Andy and Amy are like, man, you got you to gotta talk about this. So Tuesday night, I'm just brushing my teeth. I'm not really thinking about any of this stuff. And I'm in the bathroom brushing my teeth. And I feel that same heat and weight come on me. And I'm in my bathroom brushing my teeth, toothpaste dripping down my face, crying and you know, when the Lord hits me and I start crying, if I'm alone, I start singing. Or if I've got a mask on in the back of the room, I start singing. And uh, I had a couple thoughts go through my mind. I was not thinking about some of the most important things that I struggle with. Um, but, you know, we've, we've got kids who need help. Everyone has kids who need help. We've got friends who need help. Um, the, the Lord told me three things. He told me something about one of my kids. He said, they're going to be okay. And then he told me, I've got a relative on Brandy's side with COVID that we were concerned about. And he said, 
which they are going to be okay. They're making their way through it. But he said, they're going to be okay. And then he told me one other thing. And these were all things that were kind of like hard issues with me, but I wasn't thinking about. And I have struggled my whole life to actually trust the Lord. I haven't struggled to be obedient, but I have struggled, I have struggled to actually trust that what he's saying is actually being said by him and it's actually going to happen. But those three things that he put in my mind when he invaded my body, uh, I don't have to try to believe him. He gave me his faith. He gave me his mind. He gave me his, his character. Um, I had a friend who's up, just kind of messed his life up. And the Lord started talking to me in the car. And I saw something on the side of the road and I called the guy up and I said, hey, I'm seeing this. And I think the Lord is saying this to you. And he's saying this and he's saying this and he's saying this. One of the images that I told him I saw that meant something specific to the Lord restoring his heart. He sent, so I called him and got a voicemail. He texts me back and he texts me a picture of a, it's a sticker of the exact thing I told him that the Lord was putting on his heart. He just found it. He just put it on his water bottle, which is covered in things that mean something to him. So the bottom line is God wants something more for us than we might understand. He wants to be more involved in our lives than we understand. Here's some of God's thoughts towards us. He wants us to experience a deeper connection to him. He wants us to have his thoughts. He wants to empower us to impact our kids, our spouses, our families, our friends, our coworkers, our neighborhood, the knucklehead you walk across going across the sidewalk. Uh, he wants to use you to get access to your kids. Who in here has been praying that the Lord will please touch our kids despite us? Right? I've said some of the worst things in my life to my kids last week. And I was literally praying, Lord, find some other way to get to my kids because I'm not, <laughs> I'm obviously not it. But he wants to get to our kids through us. He wants to use us for those family members that are lost. He wants us to be a rock for others when hard times come. So let's do this. If you want to know the Holy Spirit in a more meaningful way, if you want to know him as an actual person, if you want to be able to actually respond to the Lord's personality, not just theologically, would you guys... Pray this with me. And Levi, you can throw the first one up. So you want you to pray with me or is this going to be me? All right, here we go. Holy Spirit, we repent of the things that we've allowed to separate us or numb us to your presence. Forgive us for any wounds that we've allowed to fester. Forgive us for any bitterness that we've held on to. Forgive us for what we've given our hearts to that hasn't been you. Forgive us for what we've thought or done or seen that has numbed us to you. Forgive us for being distracted or not praying or being self-centered or self-conscious. Let's go to the next slide. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would give us help 
to see and know you. Heal our calloused or wounded hearts. Make us sensitive to you. Reveal yourself to us as you did to Jesus, your apostles, and those who came before us. Teach us to see you. Teach us to see your ways. Take your place on the throne of our hearts and overflow our lives into our children, our friends, and beyond. That's basically it. Um, During worship, I felt like there was someone here who's thought that they have made a decision that they can't unmake in their lives. And uh, I don't know if you want to acknowledge it or you just want to take this, but the Lord was telling me that uh, you haven't made any choices that he can't get you through, he can't work you out of. So anyways, that's it. We've got Andy with a word. Amen. You know, Chris is what you would call a dark horse. And uh, you have to be careful because I think the future of the kingdom of God is, is uh, well, if you've, if you've ever said about yourself or somebody else who didn't seem like a likely candidate to lead the kingdom of God, um, you know, I... I always describe those folks as dark horses, like people that come out of nowhere, you know, and I just feel like Chris is going to be doing more from this pulpit than less. Like everybody knows Chris is like this highly gifted audio engineer, you know, nationally renowned audio engineer. I, I don't know if you guys know that, but Chris is kind of a big deal in the audio world, you know. Um, but what we've witnessed walking with him over these last six years is that he's got a tremendous pastoral gifting, pastoral heart, and he loves people and he loves the Lord. And I just think that's the most lethal combination that a person can have. And, um, you know, so, amen. Are you guys ready for one more quick word? Can you, can you bear with me for just a second? I've, I've only got like 55 minutes of speaking left. Um, uh, just kidding. Uh, uh, real quick. I don't know if you remember me talking about this story in the book of Genesis about the patriarch Isaac. Isaac's the guy between Abraham and Jacob, but there's a story about Isaac where after his father has passed, the Lord has greatly blessed him. He's increased his flocks. He's increased his wealth. God is doing this thing where he's trying to establish the Hebrew nation and he's, he's, he's investing wealth into them. And part of Isaac's story is that he got so blessed by God that his enemies started to envy him. And, and so, you know, you know what we do when we get envious, when somebody else has something that we don't have, we get mad at them and we get angry. And so we hope the worst for them, right? If you're like me, that's what you do. But uh, the, 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 the people that were around Isaac at that time, uh, they decided to get revenge on Isaac. And he had all of these wells. You know, if you live in an arid wasteland, you're, you need wells to, to drink from, to water your flocks by. So they went around and they filled up all of his wells with dirt and rocks. And he had to go around and redig those wells. Okay. So in the process of him redigging these wells, as soon as he would redig a well, people would come and say, oh, that's not yours. That's mine. 
and he being a man of peace would relent and he would give the well up. And this happened two times. And you know what was interesting? He named the wells. The, the wells were called uh, harassment and argumentation. Harassment and argumentation or arguments. I thought that was so interesting. Here's Isaac. He has these things that are rightfully his. He does all the work. Of, his family does the work of digging them up once. And then he does the work again of redigging them. And then people still take them from him. And rather than go to war against those people, he relents and gives them up. And if there is a prophetic story for the moment that we're living in, it would be that one. Arguments and, and harassment, those are things that you do not need to be seduced by or enter into. You can walk away from them. You have permission from God to walk away with all of the argument that's happening in culture. Your life is not going to be found there. The third well that Isaac redug, nobody asked for it, and he named it Open Spaces. And I believe that is the moment that we're living in. God has open spaces for you and I. Okay, if you're going down a road and you just feel yourself getting sucked into the negativity of the moment that we're in, know that you have God's permission to go dig another well and and come into the open spaces of his spirit. Amen. Amen. So the, the thing that I want to talk real quickly about this morning is Well, the title of my little thing is Queen City Church, our way forward, our way forward. And, you know, over the over the summer, I've kind of been giving little glimpses about ways forward, and I've been connecting it to the cultural moment that we're in. Um, But what I want to talk to you this morning is is a phrase that I've been uh, kind of carrying around in my back pocket for a long time, but it came up for me again this week. And I thought it was so powerful. I wanted to share it with you. The phrase, it comes from a Wendell Berry poem. And the poem is kind of a, a crazy, it's got a crazy title. It's called A Mad Farmer's Prayer or something like that. Oh, no, The Mad Farmer Liberation Front is the name of this poem. You know, Wendell Berry is kind of this radical Christian intellectual, but he's mainly known for farming. He's, I think he's 85 years old right now, and he lives on a little dirt farm in Kentucky, and he farms with a mule, and then he writes poetry and essays too. And what Wendell is, 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 is doing with his life is he's trying to call people into the life of the spirits and away from the life of materialism and consumption and getting sucked into the black hole of arguing about everything all the time. And one of the things that, that uh, uh, Wendell says in this poem, the last line of it is he's saying to people, practice resurrection. Practice resurrection. That seems kind of a weird statement because, I mean, you could take it one way, where it's like you have to die to be resurrected, but I don't think that's what he's necessarily meaning. So I want to dive into that for just a second. So so this poem, The Mad Farmer Liberation Front, is this beautiful and strange poem, and it is a call for us to not get caught up in the cares of the world and to give ourselves to a meaningful life. I believe that one of the 
great afflictions of our age is the sense of nihilism that people have. Because so many folks have walked away from the idea of the creator God and they tend not to believe in uh, um, uh, moral objectivity, they have to subscribe to a moral subjectivity and they have, they live under the tyranny of what they think. They're not serving a God. They're serving whatever it is that they come up with. And, and so this call to practicing rev, uh, resurrection that we hear from Wendell Berry, uh, I'm going to just get, give you the breakdown of his poem. I'm not going to read the poem to you, but here's some of the things that he calls out. Don't live your life for money. Don't live your life for profit. Don't live your life for pay raises or for your annual vacation. Your life is so much more than that. Don't give your life to materialism or the materialism that is telling you that owning things is the path to making yourself happy. We live in the second biggest banking town in this country. Money matters to this town. All right. Uh, I think if we're not careful, we can get sucked into money mattering to us more than the Lord. So here's another thing that he's saying to us in this poem. Every day, do something that does not compute. Do something that doesn't make sense to the world that you live in. And then he gives us a few examples. Here's one. Love the Lord. Two, love the world. Love the world that you live in. I, this is an interesting thing. He says this, work for nothing, take all that you have and be poor. I love this because it's an invitation to a, the possibility of having a good job, providing well for your family, but not yet being, but not being afflicted to the money that you make, Right? Does that make sense? Okay. He says this, love someone who does not deserve it. Here's another thing he says, invest in the next thousand years. He says this, plant sequoias. He says this, invest in something that only future generations will see the harvest of. Now, here's something totally subversive, totally controversial. Laugh. Be joyful, though you've considered all the facts. Be joyful, even though you have considered all the facts. That is practicing resurrection. All right. So I've held this poem really close to me for a number of years. Um, and it's important because I hear in it a call to a true and meaningful life. And I think that's our path forward as a church. As a church community, the Lord, the Spirit of God is calling us, beckoning us into a life together that's true and that's meaningful. Amen? So right now, the moment that we're in, I think it is really easy for folks to lose vision for Jesus and for the kingdom of God because there are so many other voices that are vying for our our attention right now. This is, this is kind of in connection with what Chris was saying. Jesus was the son of God, is the son of God. He, he got away. 
I mean, there were plenty of times when the crowds would come to Jesus with needs, ministry opportunities, things to do for God. And he said no. And he would get away. He would turn down the volume. He would practice silence. He would practice prayer. He would practice lack of distraction. He would practice Sabbath. Jesus had a weekly Sabbath that he practiced, but he probably also had a daily practice of Sabbath in his life. You and I need that. If we're going to live true and meaningful lives, we have to turn down the noise in order for us to be able to connect in to what the spirit of God is saying to us. Amen. Okay. So anxiety over politics, anxiety over the pandemic and anxiety over economics are all things that are trying to rob us of laughter and joy right now. I know this is nothing new, but I'm going to say it anyways. This is nothing new, but it appears that anxiety has brought on despair for a lot of people. And when despair sets in on people, a lot of people give up and they lose hope. And remember what I said last last week? Was it last week? Maybe the week before. Um, oh, I can't even remember how I said it. It was really good. Well, it was something about brokenheartedness. People with broken hearts can't carry hope. And that's where, that's where those voices want to take you. They want to lead you to despair so that your heart will be continually heartbroken so that you will be unable to handle the radical hope of Jesus Christ. And so that's why we want to get away in prayer. We want to get away in times of Sabbath. We want to get away in times of rest. Turn down the distraction and noise so that we can be carriers of hope. All right. So I think that many of us, and I'm not speaking to you, I'm speaking to me too, or not just you, myself as well. I think many of us have grown weary in our faith, and in a sense, we've lost the plot. But God is not through with us. I mean, when Chris started sharing what he was sharing in staff meeting this week, me and Amy were like having a Holy Ghost moment. We were like, whew, oh man, when you were describing I mean, Chris was describing how he'd, he'd had all of the stuff that had got on his heart, you know? And I just was like, when I was listening to him, I was like, oh my gosh, Amy and I have, we have, we have so been there. We've gotten so weary and tired and weak and, and we've lost vision and we've lost hope and we've gotten over into despair. And, and we just heard that fresh river of living water coming out of Chris as he just began to explain how the Holy Spirit was just answering all of the questions that he had in his life about his, his wife and his kids and, and his desire to see people really healed and changed with, um, with the love of God. And it just, it began to fill us with hope. We began, you know, when you get around people who are having interactions with the Holy Spirit, it's really good because their faith that they're having all of a sudden becomes something that you start enjoying. You know, like if you're up for it, I mean, maybe you don't enjoy it. Maybe it's annoying, but like maybe you're in a place where, gosh, you run out of other options and the Holy Spirit becomes the last option and you're ready for it, you know? So we were just thinking, oh man, Chris has to share that with the church because it's our way forward. The Holy Spirit really is our way forward as a church, y'all. He's, he's not like the, the sideshow at the circus. Like he's not over there for like the really spiritual people. 
He's a reality. He's a person for all of us. And, and I, and I so appreciate what Chris was saying about principles. Yes, there are principles that you can apply to your life and you can be, have success and you can enjoy success. But, but that's not really why we're doing this, is it? Why we're doing this is because we want to be a people who are in relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we are a church that practices resurrection. What does it mean to practice resurrection? It means this, that even after we have considered all the facts, we are a people who are living out radical hope, radical faith, and radical love. All right? And if you've been around this thing long enough, you know that when somebody uses the word radical, you just want to excuse yourself from the room because you don't have any more energy for that. You know, that's the age that I am at, you know? And so uh, when I use that word, I, I'm totally relying on the Holy Spirit to make this true and real for me. Okay, I'm not saying you have to jump up and down at youth group in order for this to take place in your life. This is all a gift of grace from the Lord to you. Amen. Okay, practicing resurrection means that through our lives now, the way that we actually live, we bring into the reality of now, the beautiful gift of our resurrected future. Okay? We, the Christian hope, guys, the Christian hope is the hope of resurrection. Someday your body is going to return to the dust. And then at another point in time, you will be raised from the dead with an uncorruptible body. That is your hope. All right? It's not, it's not to escape the apocalypse flying up into the air someday so you can avoid all the trouble that's coming. That is not the Christian hope. The Orthodox Christian hope is resurrection. And we believe in the resurrection that there is going to be a beautiful reality that's so good our minds cannot even comprehend it right now. But to be a person who is practicing re- uh, resurrection, you begin to imagine that future and acting it out now in your life. That's what this means, y'all. So here's the thing. If there is no fear in your resurrected future, that's the reality that you're going to practice now. If there is no fear in our future, we live out love now. Love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. All right? That could be one of the prayers that you pray every time you feel afraid, every time you're walking through the day and anxiety tries to overtake you. You say, Lord, let me be a, a, a man or a woman who's practicing resurrection, and I pray that your love would overwhelm this fear in my heart and my mind right now. That's a simple prayer, and you can pray it wherever you go, at work, at school, wherever you are. You don't have to speak in tongues out loud. You don't have to pray out loud. You can just say a little prayer in your heart, and the Lord will come to you in that place. All right, if we're going to be a people who are practicing resurrection, we are going to do this. If there is no death in our future, we live out that reality now. You know, death comes in all kinds of forms. It comes out in hostility and volatility and people that are practicing violence, people that are practicing vengeance, people that are practicing all kinds of, of, of you know, horrible things like 
We're salt and light, y'all. Remember in in Matthew 5 when Jesus is talking to all those unspiritual people and he's saying, hey, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. He's getting those people ready to practice resurrection. He hasn't even died and, and resurrected and ascended yet. And he's telling these people what their future looks like. You are salt. You are light in the world right now. And this is what it looks like. You are a person who is bringing life, not death, into your world. I love this. If there is no despair to be found in our future, we live out that radical hope right now. Y'all. When we're resurrected someday, the world is going to be totally devoid of despair and hopelessness. Just imagine that. You know what it means to have a prophetic imagination? It means to imagine what you don't see yet in the world that you're walking through. That's what prayer really is. When you go in to pray to your prayer spot, You're really asking the Lord to reshape, reform your imagination. You're every place that there's despair or fear. You're asking the spirit of God to take his kingdom and reform your thoughts so that you only see hope, that you only see faith, that you only see love in the world that you walk in. You know, when I, I said earlier to love a person who doesn't deserve it, you know what it really means to love a person who doesn't deserve it? It really mean, means that you begin to see that person past the way they're behaving right now. You begin to treat people, uh, maybe their better future selves right now. That's hard to do, but we can do it. That's who we are, y'all. We're people who are practicing resurrection. So radical hope, it looks like this. And I I promise I'm wrapping up. I promise. Okay, so I love this verse. I think I have this verse. Uh, It's the one verse I have this morning. It's it's found in Romans 5. And and, and Paul's saying this to all these people. We can rejoice too. We run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Do you know that God loves you this morning? I mean, do you really know that? If, if you don't know that as well as you would like, you should just stop and spend some time with him and ask him to tell you about that a little more. Ask him to fill up your heart with his spirit of love. He'll do it. It's not hard. It's real easy. But when we get filled up with this kind of love, we can go swimming around in that hope that does not disappoint y'all. I mean, you know me. I love quoting Bible verses that are explicitly say that we will run into many trials. Like I'm all about that. I go looking for those verses, right? That's just me. I, I'm, I'm wired that way. But the thing is, it's true. We will hit troubles. We will hit trials. But no matter what we are facing, we are carriers of a hope that is so radical that we are doing radical things like loving the Lord through all of our sorrows, planting sequoias for future generations to live under. That's so fun. That's such a better way to live, isn't it? I mean, honestly, y'all, I, I hate that I have to keep harping on culture, but 
Is, is culture solving anything by battling each other between Republicans and Democrats, progressives and conservatives? Are they actually coming to any solutions that are creating like hearts filled with joy in people? I mean, at best, if your side wins, all you get is that you win. It doesn't necessarily change the inside of your heart. I mean, the transformation that Jesus is trying to bring is like, like that thing where people actually feel alive for the first time in their lives. That's the thing that I want to give people. I don't want to convince people to vote Democrat or Republican. I want people to come alive on the inside with the radical hope of Jesus Christ as their savior. I mean, that's the type of thing that will change your city. It'll change your family. So radical faith. It takes a burning fire of love in your heart to be able to invest in the things that you will not see the dividends of. But that's what it means to have radical faith. It is not faith to look at the world and say, we're going to hell in a handbasket. That's not faith. That's not you being a prophet. Anyone can do that. The news does that. Fear mongers do that. It is not being prophetic to stand up and say things are really bad. A true prophetic act is to take the life God gave you and risk it all by giving yourself to the task of loving your neighbor, loving your enemy, loving your spouse, loving your parents, loving your children. Pursue wisdom and build good things with your life. But take care of the people who don't deserve it. That is the investment that God loves. Too many people in the church are writing off the cities that they live in. They're writing them off. They're saying, oh, that city, they're not like us. We're going to battle against them. That is not being prophetic. That's not. Do you know? That it is not radical faith to live in fear of a one world government. It's not radical faith. If you're out here living afraid of a one world government. To tell people that the best thing that they could do is to move to Montana and dig a hole in the ground where you can hide out with your buckets of food. That's not being prophetic y'all. Actually, there's a parable where Jesus warns against this. It's called the parable of the talents. Jesus rebuked the servant who took what he was given and buried it in the ground. Like, y'all, there's Christian people that are planning to do this. They're trying to take themselves out of culture. They're trying to take themselves out of their city because they're being, they're listening to fear more than they're listening to the faith of God. And Jesus is, he's in, in that parable. There's, there's the guy who gets $2. There's a guy who gets $5. I mean, they don't have much money, but they're taking it and they're investing it in places for a return. And there's the one guy, he's, he's got a coin. It's not a whole lot, but he's like, Oh, I want to play it safe. I'm going to bury it in the ground. You know what that is? That's self-preservation. If you're acting from a place of self-preservation, you're missing the prophetic voice of the Lord. So this is a moment for us where we need to see and to embrace the hardest times are the time when the church is really called to step into, not to shrink back from. 
These times might be the most difficult that you've ever seen. And that is the moment that we are at our best. I have a pastor who's a friend in Hong Kong. He had a church of 5,000 people and the government came in in one night and made it illegal to protest in the streets. And instantly the streets were empty of protest. It's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing. Everybody with a passport began to like head out of Hong Kong. And he, and we were on a zoom call and he said, Andy, to me, this is our moment. This is the moment where the church should begin to pray, should begin to sow radical acts of love, radical acts of faith, radical acts of hope. But because we've been undiscipled in the ways of Jesus, our first thought is self-preservation. Our first thought is not to invest in the future, but it's to shore up what is ours and to bury it in the ground, to play it safe. And you know, the interesting thing about playing it safe is that there really is a relief to it. There is. Like when you stop playing it safe and you go build your bunker and whatever version of that it, that is in your life, there is a sense of relief that comes with it. You know, you have, you have enough to eat. You have, you know, electricity, air conditioning, whatever, whatever that bunker may look like for you. But the thing is, is that you die a little bit on the inside. It's like when you start taking those radical acts of faith, that's when you begin to explode with love and life on the inside of you. When you start doing the things that you don't think you're capable of, that's when the life of the spirit finds its way in your heart. All right. Never believe a preacher when they tell you they're wrapping up. Okay. That's the first rule. Um, okay. So let me close with this radical love. The temptation for the church right now is that we would disconnect from each other that we would run away from the church and that we would go to battle against the culture. Listen, here's the thing. We, all of us in this room, we are called to each other. That's where we're called. We're called to each other. We are called to be a part of the church, the church, the capital C church. We are called. If you're followers of Jesus, you are called to be a part of the church and we are called to be peacemakers Within the culture war, I keep telling people this. I, uh, um, what's it called when you, uh, when you object to going to the war? Like, uh, conscientious objector. I, I am a conscientious objector in the culture wars. I'm not choosing a side. I'm not. There's a third way. I'm picking the Jesus option, y'all. I'm going to be a peacemaker in my city. I'm, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a, I'm not going to lawyer up. I'm going to be a peacemaker. All right. That's what we're doing church. This, and here's why, because your first commitment in your life is not to your politics. Your, if you're a follower of Jesus, your first commitment in your life is to the kingdom of God. You are a citizen of God's kingdom first and foremost. And that should be informing every, every decision that you make in your life. And that means your first allegiance is to Christ. And how you prove your allegiance is that you do what Jesus says here and now. You prove your allegiance by bringing that future resurrection, that resurrection future into this reality now. That's the supernatural life that we're called to. 
Jesus says this. This is my final word. Matthew 5, 43, 48. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you in that way. You will be acting as true children of your father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. And if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, or another word for that is mature, as even as your father in heaven is perfect. You know, every time it rains in wherever you are, it's a prophetic sign. Every time it rains in the city of Charlotte, you can go, oh, here we are. The Lord is raining on the just and the unjust. Oh, here we are. The Lord is raining on Republicans and Democrats. We all get the rain. We all get the sunshine. Jesus loves the progressive liberal that I don't. Jesus loves the conservative Republican that I don't. Jesus is raining on those people. I might need to turn my heart. I might need to begin to act out the radical, hopeful future of resurrection in this moment now. And you know what? The most radical thing that a church can do together, the most powerful thing a church can do together is take communion together. This to me is the greatest act that we do as Christians. Dare I say even more than worship. Oh my gosh. And I love to worship. I'll tell you this. I grew up in a Pentecostal church and I never heard one single, uh, I never heard one single message my entire childhood on communion. Um, and, uh, I don't know why that is. It just, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a thing for us, but as I get older, I'm beginning to appreciate more the power of the Lord's Supper. Hey, is there anybody that needs bread and wine? And raise your hand if you need bread and wine. We got, we got some folks that'll get you that real quick. We don't want, we want to make sure everybody has that. And you know, uh, here's the thing about taking communion. And, and I don't want to, judge other denominations, but just as a distinction, there, there are, there are, um, conversations within the body of Christ where, uh, the Lord's supper can be withheld from somebody. And I never want to withhold the Lord's supper from anybody. I, I I've heard stories about unbelievers taking the Lord's supper, getting radically saved. So that's why I'm always like, Listen, if somebody wants to drink the blood of Christ and eat his flesh, who am I to say that they cannot? You know, I'm just not smart enough to know what should keep a person out from taking the Lord's Supper. But I do have a friend who's a priest and he likes to do this thing where he says, Christ has died. He holds, he holds the blood up and he says, Christ has died. Christ is risen. And then he holds the bread up and he goes, Christ will come again. That's how he serves communion in his church. He goes, Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ has come again. And, and, and we've talked about bread enough in this church to know that the icon, the symbol 
that the almighty God of the universe chose to describe himself by was a loaf of bread. And of course, we have even something more meager than that, a little plastic wafer. We don't, we're not even sure if this is edible or not. We're just, we're trusting that some company has our best interests at heart. You know, I mean, I mean, to me, when I was sharing earlier about the widow's might, this is the widow mightiest version of communion that you could ever take a plastic cup of who knows what and a, we don't know what this is either. But, but seriously, y'all, I'm taking this to the bank. I'm taking this to the bank. This bread that was broken for us, it, this is the radicalized, resurrected future over there coming into our lives right now. This is the radicalized, hopeful, love-filled, despairless future over there coming into our city right now. Starting in our hearts and minds, being embodied in the people that we are right now. You know, Jesus is not waiting for the better future version of you to get started in this project. He likes everything that you are right now. The Lord really, really enjoys you and he is beckoning you to his table right now. You know what I want to spend my life doing? Making the best art that I can, worshiping God, and then subverting the powers that be by taking communion in the world. That's what I'm going to do with my life. Y'all, Do you want to tear down strongholds and principalities? Let's receive the blood of Christ this morning. Let's do that together. Jesus, you are our king. You are our Lord. And under your kingdom, we submit our lives. Once more, we submit ourselves to you and your reign. Jesus, we ask that you would begin to reign greater and greater in our lives. Starting this morning, Jesus, Lord, we thank you for the blood that was shed, that got rid of all of our sin. Not only did it get rid of our sin, but it brought us back into total and complete innocence before you. And we receive this wine together. Let's do that together, church. Isn't it good to know that your sins are not counted before you? Hmm. And Lord, we hold this bread up and we take this in remembrance of you. In remembrance of you, Lord, do we eat your flesh. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. I just ask him to come and pray us out and um, we also want to give people folks a chance to receive prayer if you want we've got our ministry teams that are going to be up here but um, like I've said before some people are better at praying than I am and Kim is definitely better at praying than I am so I think the 
enemy banks on two things for us when we are about to pray. He's banking on the fact that we're going to use human logic and he's banking on the fact that we want to still look cool and not be uncomfortable. Um, but I already know I'm so not cool, so maybe that's why it's easier for me. Um, but <laughs> so I love to, I love our church. I love, I don't know if you guys all feel this shift, but I feel this awesome shift that it's going to be really hard for anybody to try to stay where we were because we're all going and we're going together. And the momentum of each of us is propelling the others to come and we're moving as a body. So I get so hyped up about prayer and praying for each other because I believe more in what I can't see than in what I see. I just do. Sometimes we pray and someone's like, oh, nothing changed. It absolutely did because God hears our prayers and he says yes and amen. And he loves the prayers of his children. So we don't have to open our eyes and be like, oh, nothing changed. It absolutely changed. So before I go into prayer, I have memorized Galatians 2.20 for years. And I'm like, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I'm alive and living, yet I'm not living. It's Christ living in me. So this life that I'm now living, I'm living by the faith of Jesus, not mine. I'm living by Jesus's faith. So when I open this mouth and I pray, demons tremble. They're like, holy crap, there's a daughter of God who knows who she is. That's what prayer is. And you might hear yourself praying and your voice gets shaky or you start saying all these things, but you are called to heal the sick, raise the dead and cast out demons. It's who you are. Whether you're like, I never did this before you can step into it or whether you do it all the time and you're like, it's getting old. I see nothing changing. Guess what you've changed. I've got a ton of chronic disease in my body, but I don't believe that that's true. I like to say I am not a chronically diseased woman. I am a whole healed woman who's walking through a storm of chronic disease. And if I never see it actually leave my life, I'll tell you this, it will never touch my children or my grandchildren because I broke it in Jesus name. So don't look for it in yourself alone. If you're praying over anxiety and depression and all that stuff, and you still are like, but I still feel anxious and depressed. Well, I guarantee your children and your grandchildren and your great grandchildren will walk in less and less and less till it's no more. We're not just doing some selfish thing and saying prayers for ourselves. We're praying for each other. When I pray for chronic disease, I am breaking chronic disease off of every single one of you. So whatever you carry, flip it upside down. If you're dealing with depression, guess what? You've got a gift to break depression off of people. If you're, if you're dealing with anxiety, Go seek out those who are anxious and say, let me give you something while you didn't even get it yet yourself. That's this mystery. That's this power that we get to live in. So church is so amazing. The fact that I grew up thinking church was boring and I couldn't do it. Like, I don't even know what to say. I'm going to just start talking in tongues. (laughs) (laughs) All right. She failed her assignment. But, but she did way better than her assignment. Yes. That was, a, that was actually what I was looking for. <laughs> Note to self. Let Kim preach. 
Oh, let's just do this together. Jesus, thank you for this time. Thank you that you're, you're healing us, that you're changing us, that you're bringing us into our inheritance. Lord, Lord, forgive us for walking too long with hopelessness and despair and entertaining those things. And, uh, we, we thank you, Jesus, that even though we will have trials that we face this week, there is this thing on the inside of us, this righteousness that we cannot deny your joy that is leading us the way, Father. And we ask this week that you would disciple us by your joy. Continue to disciple us by your joy, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Prayer ministry is up here if you want more. Make sure you say hello to somebody. Greet somebody with a a holy Christian side hug. Take somebody out to lunch. Don't be strangers. We'll see you all next week. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.